Today we're starting a series called Kingdom First. And this next six weeks is going to prepare us to get what God has for us at the Abba Retreat. Okay, So everything we're doing now is preparing our hearts and minds to run with the vision of the Lord. Now, the series Kingdom First, it comes, of course, from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. In that passage of Scripture, Jesus says to his disciples, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles are seeking, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient to the day are the cares of its own. So Jesus Jesus says, don't worry, but seek the kingdom. Don't worry, but seek the kingdom. And he says, seek the kingdom first. He doesn't say, don't seek anything else. He simply says, you can seek everything else, but seek the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom first. What Jesus is calling us to be is kingdom first Christians. I want us to be kingdom first Christians. I want us to be a kingdom-first church, but in order for us to be a kingdom-first church, we must first learn how to be kingdom-first Christians. Let's pray. Father, speak to us today, I pray, by the power of your spirit and through the truth of your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Now, in order to know what it means to be a kingdom-first Christian, we first must know what the kingdom of God is. The proclamation of the kingdom of God is core to the message of all four Gospels, but especially the Gospel of Matthew. 38 times in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is mentioned. 38 times in 28 chapters. Literally, 1.357 times per chapter on average, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is mentioned. Now, the first thing we must understand is that the concept of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was not foreign to first century Israel. When Jesus began to speak of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, he was not speaking of a concept that was foreign to the people of Israel. Now, this, this begins in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, when this guy John the Baptist comes on the scene, this crazy prophet who's dressed in camel skin. He comes out of the desert chomping on fresh locusts that have been dipped in wild honey, He's got locust blood coming out of his mouth and wild honey sticking to his lips. And he's wearing this rough, wild camel skin robe. I mean, if you and I would have seen him, you'd have said, that's a crazy person. That's a madman, right? And he comes out of the desert screaming, repent for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And everybody's listening to this crazy person. Why is everybody listening to this crazy person? Because they knew the history of his his miraculous birth. They knew that his father, Zechariah, had had an angelic visitation in the temple when he was the high priest. And even though he was up in age and his wife was up in age, the angel told him, the angel Gabriel told him, your wife's going to conceive and bear a son, and he's going to be a prophet of the Lord, and he's going to go before his face in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons. And sure enough, Elizabeth, she conceives and bears a child, and Zechariah, 
Zechariah had been, his father had been mute the entire time of the pregnancy until the moment of the delivery. And the first thing he did when his mouth opened was he prophesied, he gave thanks to God, and then he prophesied about this child. You, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before his face in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then the scripture says the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the wilderness until the day of his manifestation to Israel. So everybody's watching this kid going, what's God going to do in his life? The reason they were willing to listen to this crazy person when he came out of the desert is because they knew the history of what God had said and what God had done in his life. You see, sometimes we misjudge people simply because we don't know the history of what God has said and what God has done in their lives. Sometimes you look at somebody and think they're crazy. They're not crazy. They're called. They're set apart. God has done something and said something over their lives, and you can never judge a book until you've read the book, until you know what God has said about that person and done in that person's life. Don't you dare judge or misjudge who somebody is and what somebody is doing. And so they're listening to this crazy person, and he screams, repent. The first thing he says is, repent. And there's this urgency to this cry. He doesn't give them any time to think about it. I mean, imagine the first thing. Imagine me preaching a Sunday morning, and the first thing I do when I get up here, I don't say hello. Welcome to Living Hope. Hi, my name is Benjamin. Here's what we're talking about today. Open your box. Nothing. Just repent. Imagine where's this coming from. He is not seeker sensitive at all. He's not thinking about the newcomers and how they're going to feel. He's not asking you to go home and pray about it and do some soul searching and think about it. He don't give you any time. Jesus, repent right now. You don't have any time to waste. You need to repent right now. It's like, whoa, what is going on? Now, the word repent there in the Greek, of course, is metanoia. It translates the Hebrew term shuv, which means to turn. And, and John the Baptist is not speaking Greek, so he doesn't literally say metanoia. They translated that from the Hebrew, shuv. Turn! 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 It's like your car is getting ready to run off a cliff. Turn! Yeah, 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 yeah. You're about to run off the road. Turn! You're, going, you're about to wreck yourself. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Turn! Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked man forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him turn to the Lord and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What are we turning from? Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You see, in the Old Testament, turning, repentance can be in two directions. You can repent towards God, or you can repent away from God. And when you repent away from God, you're turning towards your own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. When John the Baptist cries out, turn, what he's calling us to turn away from is our own way, our own thoughts our own hearts, our own desires, the way of life that is characterized by our right to rule over ourselves, to make decisions for ourselves. Turn away from yourself and turn toward this reality called the kingdom of heaven. He says it's time to turn. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? 
the word in the Greek, basileia, kingdom, it has to do with a realm of one's rule or authority. The kingdom, the realm of rule of heaven, which is the dwelling of God. Heaven is the realm of God, and a kingdom is the realm of rule. The realm of rule of the realm of God, the kingdom of heaven. The realm of the rule of the realm of God is at hand. It has to do with God's right to rule. It has to do with God's sovereignty. It has to do with God's authority. It is God in his strength, manifesting his strength, exerting his strength, demonstrating the fact that he rules over all things. Now, the idea of the kingdom of heaven, it is, it is all over the, the, the Old Testament, all over the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, when you see the kingdom of God appear, it appears in, there's two concepts, there's two uh, points that the Old Testament prophets and psalmists, they make about the kingdom of God. First, it's universal. He rules over all. I've been meditating this week on Psalm 138, and in the middle of it, he says, All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Do you hear that? All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord. His kingdom reigns over all, Psalm 22, 28. All the, it's, it's a universal kingdom, and secondly, it's a coming kingdom. It's a kingdom that's coming, and when he comes to manifest it, he's going to manifest the fact that he rules over all. See, right now, the psalmists and the prophets would look at the world and say, they don't know it yet, but he rules over all. Yeah, yeah. The kingdoms of the world think they rule themselves. Actually, no. He rules over all. The prophet Isaiah would say, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am the Lord and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, the word has, word has gone forth from my mouth and shall not return, that before me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. There's this expectation of the coming rule of God, that God's rule is over all and it's coming. That's what they expected in the Old Testament. That's what they believed in the Old Testament. And now you got this crazy guy coming out of the desert wearing camel skin, screaming, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He doesn't say coming. He says at hand. Now yesterday as I was preparing this message, I, had, I stumbled upon a moment of ignorance that borders on stupidity because I realized that I had been reading that verse wrong all my life and I didn't know it. Sometimes you don't know you're wrong until the Holy Spirit shows you, oh, I completely misunderstood that. The way I read that verse is when John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what he meant by at hand is about to come right now, about to break through right now, about to break in right now. And I thought what he meant was, Jesus is about to show up in 45 minutes, so y'all need to get ready because Jesus is about to come. But then I saw in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus shows up on the scene and he begins to preach the exact same message that John preached. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it doesn't make sense for John to say, it's about to come, because Jesus is coming, and then Jesus to say, it's about to come. Well, who else is coming if it ain't you? <laughs> so then I looked at the Greek word for that word, at hand, and it's actually one Greek word, two English words, one Greek word. And I wanted to know the tense of that word. Because if it's a future tense, it's coming. If it's a past tense, it's come. But the Greek word there at hand is actually a perfect tense, which is extremely rare in the New Testament. The perfect tense denotes a present continuing state which has resulted from a past completed action. A present 
continuing state which has resulted from a past completed action. Repent, turn, for the kingdom of heaven, the realm of God's right to rule, is a present continuing state which has resulted from a past completed action. He says the action already occurred. The kingdom has already come. But the state which the coming of the kingdom created is now present and continuing. Meaning that the ramifications of what has already happened are presently and going forward being worked out in our midst. Now, I want you to understand this. Now, now watch this. What is that past completed action that created the present continuing state of the kingdom? The birth of Jesus. The incarnation. 30 years prior to John's proclamation, Jesus was born. The moment Jesus was born, the kingdom came to earth. The kingdom was manifested in earth in the incarnation. God had already come. God with us. God in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The kingdom was already here, but it was a secret. Nobody knew it yet. Don't, Don't you hate? being left out of an inside joke? Doesn't it just drive you crazy? You're with two friends, and one friend looks at the other friend, and he goes, hey, John, hey, John, potatoes. And then John, ha, ha, John just falls out laughing. And you're like, whoa, what, potatoes what? They're like, it's, it's an inside joke. You, you wouldn't understand. It's just, you know, it's just something that happened between us. You're like, well, can you let me on the inside of this inside joke, you know? They're like, nah, it's, it's just, it's just nothing. You know, don't you hate, doesn't that just drive you crazy? Doesn't it just make you mad? You know what I used to hate? I had two Filipino friends, and all three of us would be hanging out, and then all of a sudden one would just look at the other and be like, Magandang, bak, 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 bak. Magandang, oh my God, bak, bak, oh my God, you know. And then they would just go off in, in Tagalog. We're like, what, what the, am I here or what? And say, oh yeah, we just, that was just something we had to, we just had to, there's this inside thing, and you're on the outside. Don't you just hate being on the outside of an inside thing? You see, 30 years before John's proclamation, Jesus was born, but it was an insider thing. Mary and Joseph were first on the inside of it. First, it was on the inside of Mary, and then, then the angel came to Joseph, and now Joseph and Mary are on the inside, and then Mary visited Elizabeth, and now Elizabeth's on the inside, and then when he's born, wise men show up from the east, and now wise men are on the inside, and then the shepherds come down from the hillside, and the shepherds are on the inside, and then he goes to the temple to get him circumcised, and Simeon gets a revelation, and now Simeon's on the inside, and Anna's on the inside, but there's just a handful of people who are on the inside of this information, this secret thing that, that the, the kingdom, you see, the kingdom is here, but it's hidden. Yeah. It's not public yet. It's a secret. And, and everybody who knew the secret that the kingdom came the moment this baby was born, I could imagine the wise men going back to their country. And every time they hit a difficult situation, one of them would just look at the other and go, hey, 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 John, hey, John, remember this? <laughs> remember this? Like, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. It's like, and everybody around, what, what, what's, what's that all about? He's going, nothing, man. It's just, some, it's an inside thing. You know, you just wouldn't understand. You just wouldn't understand. I can imagine the shepherds on the hillside losing their jobs because they left their sheep to go see Jesus. And the next day they get fired from being shepherds and, and they're all discouraged. And then one of them just looks at the other and goes, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, you remember this? Remember this? <laughs> remember this? Everything's going to be all right. Why? Because of this. 
because of this. Why? Because I'm on the inside. Because I'm on the inside. Because I got the inside scoop. Because I'm an, I'm an early adopter of the kingdom. I, I'm an early adopter. I've got early information. I'm a trendsetter. I, I've, I'm on the inside of this thing. I, I'm on the ground floor of this thing. And it's such a privilege to be on the inside. Yeah. It's here, but it's hidden. But the moment John the Baptist comes out of the wilderness, now the kingdom of heaven is about to have its IPO. John's proclamation is the initial public offering of the kingdom of heaven. John is saying, today marks the IPO of the kingdom, and you can buy shares today. You can buy a share in the kingdom, but the cost is repentance. If you want a share of the kingdom, repent. And the question is, why the urgency, John? Yeah. I mean, if it's, a, if it's a present continuing state, the kingdom will still be here tomorrow. Why the urgency? Yeah. What, see, I misunderstood. I thought the urgency meant if you don't get in right now, you're going to miss it. Yeah. Like if you, don't get, if you don't repent right now, when this meeting's over, God's going to kill you. <laughs> like that's how I read it. Like that's, that's what the urgency, it sounds like, but that's not what John's saying. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if you don't repent right now, you're going to miss out. Not you're going to miss it. You're going to miss out. The likelihood is you'll probably have a chance to get in tomorrow or next month or next week or next year. But you're going to miss out. Now, now let me tell you what I'm talking about. Um, I have friends who are buying Bitcoin when it was $40. I'm not espousing, I'm not telling you to buy Bitcoin, okay? I'm not saying, but this, is, this isn't called an illustration, okay? This is a metaphor, okay? I had friends who were buying Bitcoin when it was $40. Now it's $10,000. And they're like, oh, yeah, I was buying it back in 2010 when it was $40. I'm like, why you didn't tell a, why you didn't tell a brother? Come on, man. Like, now you're just balling and I'm just struggling. You, you know what I mean? you just... But you know what? I have another friend who was buying it when it was $600, and that was $10,000. And he did tell a brother. He spent three years telling a brother, and I was like, get out of here with all that, talking about this fake, big, fake money, Bitcoin. Man, I don't want none of that. And now it's $10,000. I'm like, can I buy some? <laughs> I didn't miss it. I can still buy it today. But I missed out. Because had I bought in years ago, how much more profit would I have made? You see, if you don't repent and come into the kingdom today, you might not miss it. Maybe on your deathbed, you might open your heart to Jesus and come into the kingdom, and you still get to go to heaven for the rest of your life. But you'll miss out. Because you'll look back over your life and realize how many wasted years there were when you could have been living the reality of the kingdom, but instead you were living in your own way. You missed out. So John says, repent right now. Repent, turn away from your own way and turn towards the kingdom and surrender your life to the rule of God. Stop trying to rule your own life. Let God be the ruler of your life. And that's how you buy a share of the kingdom of God. All right, now the plot thickens, all right? The plot thickens because the disciples, let me ask you, the disciples of Jesus, did they buy in or not? 
Yeah, they did, right? I mean, when Jesus comes on the shore, he's like, come follow me. Leave everything. And they were like, bye, Dad. (laughs) But, Lord, we fishing. Leave them nets and come. I forget these fish. They left their boats. They left their fish. They left their dad. They left their jobs. They left their companies. They abandoned everything. They just walked away from everything, and they followed Jesus. I mean, they bought into the kingdom, right? But yet Jesus here in Matthew 6, 33, is telling these disciples, seek first the kingdom. Now, how is Jesus telling disciples who have already abandoned everything to turn their lives over to the kingdom to seek first the kingdom? I mean, haven't they already sought the kingdom? But remember, the kingdom of God is a present continuing state that is the result of a past completed action, which means, when the the word continuing means that the ramifications of that past completed action are still expanding, unfolding, being worked out. That's why later in Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed that's planted in the ground. And although it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of all garden plants. The kingdom of God is a reality that is not static. It's growing. It's increasing. Remember, the prophet said of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace, Jesus says, seek the kingdom because as much as you have received the kingdom and as much as you have come into the kingdom and as much as you have experienced the kingdom, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't heard nothing yet. You have no idea the possibilities of what it means that God is in charge, that God rules everything. Seek the rule of God. And secondly, because you're not done surrendering your life to God, because there's still areas of your life that you haven't surrendered yet, because there's still areas of your life where you're still trying to grab the wheel from God and steer the ship of your own life. So Jesus says, keep seeking the kingdom so that God can keep showing you what it means that he's in charge. The kingdom is a reality that is continuing to unfold, continuing to open up. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Now, this is actually a restatement of what Jesus already taught the disciples earlier in this same chapter, in Matthew chapter 6. Remember, just a few verses above it, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees who just mumble on and on. They think they're heard because of their many words. He says, but this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is, you start by adoring the Father. Start with adoration. Start with praise. Start with thanksgiving. But now, from the very next line, you're going to begin to seek. And the whole rest of the Lord's prayer is seeking, asking, knocking. And what's the first thing? Jesus taught him to seek. Your kingdom come. He already taught him to seek first the kingdom. Your kingdom come, and then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He already taught them to seek the kingdom first. And now he taught it by example in the prayer and now by precept in this statement. Seek first the kingdom. He's talking about the orientation of our lives. Seek first the kingdom, not just in prayer, but in the way you live your daily life. In the middle of the summer, I felt actually early in the summer, I felt like the Lord visited me and said, you say I'm Alpha and Omega, but Alpha and Omega of what? 
Make me the alpha and omega of your day. Start the day by seeking my face. End the day by seeking my face. Make me the alpha and omega of your life. Seek him first. The kingdom first reality is a lifestyle, not just a way of praying, but a way of living. Let me ask you a question. When you make a major decision in your life, what is the first thing you consider? Do you know how a lot, of, even a lot of Christians, you know how a lot, of, a lot of us live? Career first. The first thing we consider is, what career do I want to go into? And where's that career going to take me? And what do I need to do to achieve these goals with my career? Idolatry. Career first is idolatry. No, the question is, where do you need me, God? What would you have me to do? What do you want me to accomplish in my life? Where would you have me to go? Kingdom first, not career life. All of my ambitions and all of my desires and all of my goals are second to what God wants for me and what God would have for me. That's the kingdom first mindset. So you're saying I should neglect my career in order to serve God. What? That only makes sense if God doesn't care about your career. No, I'm saying if you really want your career to make an impact in the world and in life, you need to submit it to the kingdom of God because only when you live kingdom first and career second do you actually have the kind of career that God created you for. Or how about this one? Family first. I got to do what's best for my family. My family comes first. And every decision I make is what's best for my family. That's my number one priority, idolatry. (laughs) Idolatry. No, not family first. Kingdom first. Kingdom first. Oh, so you're saying I should neglect my family to serve God? What? (laughs) Are you kidding me? That only makes sense if God doesn't care about your family. You think God doesn't care about your family? No, it's kingdom first because when you teach every member of your family to live a kingdom first lifestyle, you'll have the greatest family experience that you could ever imagine in your life. It's only when your family is submitted to the kingdom of God that you experience the kind of family that God created you to have. Hmm? How about this one? Opportunity first. Opportunity first. I'm just looking for the right door to open, for the right opportunity I'm looking for the right blessing so I can have my best life now. I'm looking for the right blessing and provision and breakthrough idolatry. No, not opportunity first, kingdom first. So what are you trying to say? I should like say no to like these awesome opportunities? What? That only works if God doesn't care about making a way for you. Don't you realize that God promised that he would make a way out of no way, that he would open, that he would cut gates of iron and open the gates of bronze and open before you double doors? There you get more opportunities and greater opportunities by saying yes to the kingdom, by submitting your opportunism to the kingdom than otherwise. How about this one? Culture first. I just want to be around my people. You know, my, I feel most comfortable with people like me who talk like me and think like me. And I just want to be around people like me. Idolatry. Oh, so you're saying I should neglect my people to serve God? What? That only works if God doesn't care about your people. Listen, if you really want to be an example to your people, if you really want to see the blessing of God break out for your people, you've got to submit your culture to the kingdom. Last one. How about this? Church first. 
I just love my church and I just love my community and I love the fact that my church is small enough to where I can know everybody. <laughs> Idolatry. <laughs> oh, so you're saying I should neglect my community in order to serve God? What? The church that Jesus died for, you think submitting to God means you're going to neglect your church? You might neglect your social calendar. You, listen, and this is the key. Do not mistake that which is inconvenient for you to neglecting your church. <laughs> if you want to have the greatest church experience that you could possibly imagine, you must submit your experience of the church to the kingdom of God. Kingdom first is the greatest way to live. Kingdom first is the best way to live. King Jesus taught us to live kingdom first because it is the greatest way of life because there is no way of life that will bring you more joy. There is no great of life that way of life that will bring you more success. There is no way of life that will bring you more fulfillment than a kingdom first lifestyle. And what we don't realize is that for each and every one of us, there are areas in which we have become idolaters. Because we have allowed priorities in our life that have usurped the place of the kingdom of God. When you walk through a situation and you make a decision, look back and stop and ask yourself, what was my priority in that decision? What we don't realize is that a kingdom first mentality means that everything else is expendable. Do you hear me? A kingdom first mentality means that everything else is expendable, even my own life. And this is going to sound terrible to you, but even the life, the lives of my family members, that's a tough one, isn't it? I went through this several years ago when my wife came to me and said, I feel the Lord calling me to go to Brazzaville, Congo. And this... Oh, I'm sorry, the Sudan. It wasn't Congo. My bad. I could have fixed it later. She said, I, I've just got this invitation to the Sudan, and I feel the Lord calling me to go. And I said, nope. Because that was the time when they were raping women and cutting them up and all that nonsense over there. And it was happening everywhere. I said, mm, my wife ain't going over there to get all raped and chopped up and mm-mm, nope, you ain't going. She, and she laughed and she's like, really? I was like, yep, I'm serious. You are not going to Sudan. You know, if you need to get away, go take a trip to Indonesia or something, you know. <laughs> go visit the orphans over there, you know, but you ain't going to no Sudan. And she said, but I really, I really believe the Lord is, is calling me to go. She's like, well, can we pray about it? I'm like, sure, Lord, thank you. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I said, the Lord's going to have to visit me personally. And guess what the Lord did? I was in prayer a few days later, and the Lord came and said, release your wife. I'm sending her to the Sudan. And this is what I said. I said, Lord, then you have to promise me. You have to promise me that you're going to protect her. Translation, Lord, I'll sign her permission slip. If you promise that you will protect her. Do you see the mentality that I'm going to protect her from God? 
that I have to worry before giving God permission to lead my wife? You have to promise me that you will protect her. And the Lord said, I will make you no such promise. You will trust me that her life is in my hands and she lives when I say live and she dies when I say die. You will trust me with her life. Translation, don't get it twisted. You are her husband, not her Lord. Not her creator, not her maker, not her sustainer. You didn't put the breath of life in her nostrils and you can't keep it there. You will trust me with her life because her life belongs to me, not to you. I'm not asking your permission. I'm telling you, I am calling your wife to the Sudan. Get out of the way. And all of a sudden I heard this song in the spirit. Get out the way, Ben. Get out the way. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> Sorry. Lord, I repent. <laughs> the spirit of ludicrous came. Do you know the whole time my wife was in the Sudan, I battled anxiety and fear every day. And in the middle of that trip, I had a moment of anxiety that hit me so hard that I almost passed out. I was standing outside talking to somebody and I almost passed out. <laughs> Imagine she's in the Sudan, she's fine and I'm dying over here. Why did I have to go through that season? I had to learn that it's kingdom first, not safety first. It's kingdom first, not survival first. So much of what we call stewardship is actually survival. I have to survive. We have to survive. He never promised that we would survive but he promised that the kingdom of this world would become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and that he would rule forever. Kingdom first. Yes. And guess what? My wife came home unraped, unchopped up, <laughs> and alive, unkilled. <laughs> and I realized that God's hand of protection was on her the whole time. I didn't need to get him to swear to protect her as if he didn't intend to. Well, I was just going to just let her die, but... <laughs> <laughs> now that you asked me to protect her, I <laughs> hadn't really thought about it. But here's the reality. Even if she hadn't come home, her life is in his hands. There may be a day when I don't come home from a trip. There may be a day when she doesn't come home for a trip. Question is, what does your kingdom need, Lord? And here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. Jesus is not asking us to do anything he wasn't willing to do. Because he was sitting on his throne in glory at the right hand of the majesty on high, enjoying the worship of the angels and of all creation. And the father said, I need somebody to go down there and die for them. 
so I can save them. And Jesus said, whatever you need. I'm ready to empty myself. I'm ready to humble myself and become obedient. I'm ready to take the form of a servant. I'm ready to become obedient even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He was willing to give his life. Why? Because even Jesus, God's own son, saw his own life as expendable for the sake of the kingdom. Why? Why did he endure for the joy that was set before him? He endured the cross, despising his shame. Why? Because he knew that if I am willing to lay everything down for the kingdom of my father, he's not going to leave my soul in the grave. He's going to raise me up again and he's going to sit me at his right hand. I'm going to have more authority and power on the other side. Kingdom first sounds like loss, but it's actually gain. And maybe somebody shared the gospel with you and you feel like they're trying to sell you Bitcoin. What is this nonsense, this fake money stuff? What is this religious stuff? No, listen to me. They're simply trying to bring you in. They're simply trying to bring you in on the inside of the reality that already happened. And listen, you're not going to miss it, but you're going to miss out. And maybe you can open your heart later, and maybe not. Maybe you will miss it. Sometimes people do miss it. But the motivation is not the fear that you're going to die the moment you walk out of this place. The motivation is you're going to look back on your life and say, how many years I lived outside of the kingdom. If I could go back, I would have bought shares in the kingdom. I would have turned away from my own way. I would have surrendered my life to him. And I would have learned how to live kingdom first. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would open every heart and you would open every ear. Take away the fear that keeps us out of the kingdom. The fear of what surrender will cost. Lord Jesus, this is why you said that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And when he found it, he hid it again, and in his joy, he went out and sold all he had and came back and bought that field. He was willing to give up everything he had in order to obtain the field because he found something in the field that was far more valuable than anything he possibly could have lost. And Lord, it's the fear of loss that keeps us out of the kingdom. But Father, today I pray that you would break that fear of loss in Jesus' name. Jim Elliott said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. All of the things of this world, you can't keep it anyway. What are you afraid of losing? You can't keep it anyway. The stuff you're holding on to, it's temporal stuff. It's going to wither and die anyway. What are you afraid of losing? But the kingdom, it's an unshakable kingdom. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom, it comes to live on the inside of you. The kingdom, it's worth everything. And listen, my brother, my sister, you're here today, first and foremost. You're here today, and you've never actually surrendered your life to the king. You've not turned away from your old way, and maybe you turned away from your old way and then turned right back to it.
but you know you have not been living in the reality of the kingdom. But you're ready to come in or come back in today. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I just want you to just lift up a hand just so I can see it. It's just between you and me and God right now. You say, I'm ready to come back into the kingdom. I see that hand. I'm coming into the kingdom. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I'm coming into the kingdom. I'm not running any longer. I'm not running away any longer. I'm coming into the kingdom. And I'm ready to turn from my own way. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these that lifted their hands. Holy Spirit, I pray you come upon their lives right now in the name of Jesus and bring them in. And I pray for the knowledge that they are children of God, sons and daughters of God. That Lord Jesus, you saw this moment in eternity. You saw them turning their hearts to you in this moment in eternity. And God, I just rejoice this morning because I know that there's so much that causes the angels, there's so much that causes us to rejoice, but there's only one thing that causes the angels to rejoice. And that's when one sinner repents. When one person turns away from themselves and towards the Lord, every angel in heaven is rejoicing. Over there at Soda, if any of you have lifted your hands, I want you to know that the angels are rejoicing over you today. There's nothing that brings God more joy than when we turn to him and we surrender our lives to him and Jesus comes in. And I want all of us to repeat this prayer with me on both sides of the bay, all of us, just to repeat this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I open my heart to you. I hear you knocking at the door of my heart. I invite you to come in. Make your home in me. Today, as an act of my will, I turn away from my own way. And I turn towards you. I submit myself to you. Forgive me of all of my sins. Wash me and make me clean. And teach me how to live the kingdom first as a lifestyle, as the priority of my life. And fill me with your spirit that I might walk with you. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise in this place. Now listen, for each and every one of us here today, whether you just received Jesus, where you haven't received him yet, or whether you have already received him and been walking with him for years, for each and every one of us today, this invitation of Jesus is just as valid yeah, yeah, yeah. to seek each and every day to live kingdom first. Yeah. As the number one priority of our lives, God, let your kingdom come. Yeah. And refusing to try to dictate to God how to, how to manifest that. Yeah. Not, Lord, let your kingdom come upon my finances. No, Lord, let your kingdom come. Yeah. However you choose to bring it today, let your rule and your leadership manifest in my life yeah. today. You lead me. You be the guide. Yeah. You tell me to go to the left. You tell me to go to the right. Let your kingdom come. Yeah. I will follow you. Yeah. Lead me, yeah. and I'll follow you. And you know what? If you ask the Lord to lead you, he will. Yeah. If you ask the Lord to guide you, he will. Yeah. He'll do it. Yes. Amen? Amen? So be encouraged today.